0: So we, we're doing discipleship at the moment, and I'm, love doing, I'm loving doing discipleship. Uh, this is something that is really near to my heart. We're going to talk about discipleship is about a lifestyle of learning. That's what we're going to talk about today. I'm, I'm not really going to turn to a passage in the Bible or a verse particularly and speak to you from that. But I'm going to talk to you about a Bible principle which can be seen throughout the New Testament, particularly when you see Jesus discipling his disciples. I want to introduce you to some of the insights of how Jesus discipled uh, his disciples, because we need to learn from the best, don't we? So discipleship, discipling means learning. And so we are all on this journey together of learning to be like Jesus. And this learning is not so much in discipleship terms about studying and books, although it can be these things and they can help us in our learning and in our journey. But discipleship is more to do with a lifestyle Of learning, The whole Christian life is about this. We never stop learning and that's because God is so big and so amazing and he's done so much for us. We're never going to get it all in one sermon or even one lifetime. So in Ephesians, Paul talks about how in the ages to come, we'll begin to understand the extent of his grace for us. So we can hardly expect to get it all even in one lifetime. So there's so much more to know and experience of God. I don't know about you, but I became a Christian when I was only four years old, and uh, I've been involved in Christian leadership for at least 20 years, so I'm 24 now, and, uh, and I still feel like I'm just beginning. I still hardly know where to begin. And it seems like the more you go on in God, uh, the the less you seem to know. That's been my experience. Maybe we should ask Chris and Tina if that's true in a few more years. But it just seems like I'm just beginning and I'm learning all the time. Because even though, as Paul says, we are his workmanship created for good works in Christ, this isn't just a once and for all thing. That's what I'm discovering. It's going on all the time. God is continually working with us and in us, conforming us to his image, revealing truth to our minds, making us by the work of his spirit in us. It's experientially what he has already made us in the new identity that we have in Christ. I can't get my head around what Jesus has done. I can't get my head around what it means to be in Christ, to have my sins forgiven. I can't get over that, never mind what does it mean to be a royal son or daughter. It's a continual process exposing us to uh, necessary ongoing revelation of what it means to be newborn citizens of heaven. He's patiently restoring us and healing us from the sin And the pain that that has caused. He's breaking the shackles of condemnation. He's always revealing more of his grace, more of his love, more of his fathering. It's going on and on and on. Did you know that? Did you know? And this is to encourage you that you're not the finished article yet. And God hasn't finished with you yet. He's not given up on you. He's still working in you and with you and through you. And as long as you live, he will continue to work out in you all the potential explosions of life that he's freely given us in Christ. And he uses every possible means to do this all the time. Circumstances of life, seasons of time, other people, things that we read and are exposed to. He is always at work in us. It's just that we don't always recognize these gentle interruptions and these precious moments when he's trying to get our attention. And so as disciples of Jesus, we need to learn to train ourselves to pay attention to the promptings of his spirit, and then to process and work out in our lives what he's inviting us to consider, and learn to live like he's made us to live. And that's what I want to try and help us with today. I want to try and give you some tools that will help you with that. And I want to be looking really quite simply as, How is the Father trying to get your attention at the moment? How is the Father trying to get your attention? How do we then discern what he's saying and then what are we going to do about it? That's basically all I'm going to be talking about today. What is the Father doing to get your attention? So how has he been trying to get your attention recently? Let's just think about that for a moment. Actually, recently maybe harder for us. Uh, I've been working on this question for a while with our life group and actually the recently are more difficult than to look back over a few weeks and months. Uh, So for example, I had a series of occurrences where I realized eventually that God was trying to get my attention starting in January. I was out one morning and I was walking in the Malvern Hills and uh, I was walking up a really muddy path. And I say muddy But that was the thing that caught my attention, that it was muddy, but it wasn't slippery. In fact, what I realized is that because it had been cold the night before, the ground had actually become frozen. So what would normally be slippery and muddy, it was actually quite good to walk in because all the previous footprints became footholds that I could walk in and climb up the hill really easily. So it's quite easy to walk, and it even helped me to climb, and it caught my attention. This just caught my attention, and I found I paused, and I found myself thinking about it, and it was at the same moment I found that God was speaking to me, and I heard him say, your trials must become trails for others to walk on, that your difficulties, the difficulties of your past must be frozen in time to pass on to others to help them to climb. I thought, wow, that is a profound revelation. I even blogged on it, and I thought I could write a really good talk on it as well. But what did it mean? What did it mean? Obviously, God was speaking to me, but I jumped the process of reflection and assumed I knew what he was talking about. And I started thinking about how my application went kind of, well, how can I freeze frame some of those bad experiences to help other people. Maybe I should blog these things. Maybe I should write them down to spend a bit of time reflecting on those just in the sense of I can use this with somebody else. And I thought that was it. And then in March, it came up again. So that was January and this was March. So in March, it was just after the prophecy conference and I woke up in the middle of the night. And uh, I was actually sleeping downstairs on this occasion because I'd been snoring. Uh, Just thought I'd get that out there. And so my wife isn't very gracious in the middle of the night, but I went downstairs. And I woke up in the middle of the night with a terrible pain in my left ankle. It was so bad I couldn't even move. I couldn't walk on it. But weirdly, as I was thinking about it, I couldn't remember twisting my ankle the night before. I couldn't remember banging my ankle. It was so painful that I couldn't even get out of bed and cry for help. It was pitiful. And I tell you what, it really got my attention. I was absolutely wide awake. And the only thing I could do was just say, God, what is going on? What is happening to me? And as I started to pray, I felt God speak to me, and he said this really cool thing. He says, I've called you to bruise the serpent's head with your heel, not the other way around. And so I realized straight away in that moment that it was a spiritual attack, so I rebuked the enemy, and the pain receded, and by the morning I was able to walk with nothing but a lingering ache, which was good, because it showed me how real the attack had been in the night. I got a really good sermon idea out of that. I went into Psalm 18. I've got this brilliant sermon all ready to go whenever you need it, all right? But I skipped the process again. I skipped it again. I went on into, this is what I could do with this. This is how I could use it. And then the next one came. And it was following the talk I did a few weeks ago on the cost of discipleship. And if you remember it's on the website if you've missed it, but I went through how Jesus warned us about difficulties that would come, how we needed to deal with a spirit of entitlement, and how we needed to deal with disappointment in our lives. And I've got to say, this is one of the hardest talks I've, I've done, because as I was, even as I was doing the talk, I found that God was starting to unpack some things in me and put his fin- finger on a few things. And I didn't manage to fully complete all of the the searching in my own heart before I was able to deliver the talk, which makes it very uncomfortable to do the talk because I know I've got some work to do later. And then when I sat down, eventually God just started speaking to me about the ground I'd been walking on. He started to talk to me about the danger I was in of slipping and even... Uh, going over, falling over on my ankle because there were things that were unresolved from years ago that he said I needed to deal with, and it was to do with disappointment. And then I had to start working that through with God. I had to repent for some things, some attitudes, and then I found that underneath disappointment was anger, anger about some things that I'd neatly buried in a Christian way. And I had to unpack that and confess that to him and deal with it. And it was only when I'd worked through all that, I sort of thought, Oh my goodness, you've been trying to teach me this for months. And I missed it. I'd missed it. But he's so kind because he kept coming back and back and back. He said, Okay, I want to work this through with you. I want to heal you from that. I want to deal with that. So how's he been trying to get your attention recently? He's always at it. He's always at it. He's always working in us and on us and through us. What's he saying to you? What's he asking you to do? These moments, these interruptions of a loving father in our daily lives, they're called Kairos moments. They're called Kairos Moments, and I want to just explain this to you now. And it starts with understanding a little more about how our time works with God's time. So our time is the time that we're, we're used to. So in the Bible, it's it, the word chronos is used. Uh, it's to do with the clock. It's to do with the calendar. And we live day-to-day with a sense of time. And this is called linear time. It just stretches out seconds, minutes, hours, and days. And the word in the Bible is the word chronos. And if I was to draw chronos, look, I've even got a sketchboard. How about this? If I was to draw chronos, it would look something like this. So there's the minutes and the seconds, the hours, the years. That's your timeline going in that direction. So that's Kronos. That's what it looks like. And uh, our time, according to the clock or calendar, means that actually every day is alike. It's 24 hours, and there are always 365 days in a year, unless it's a leap year when it's 366. It's, it's constant, like the ticking of the clock. And these processes are unrelenting, especially as you get older and you realize that there's more and more time passing. But actually, at the same time, we get a lot of security from this predictability of our lives, that there are so many hours until this happens, so many days until we get there. And we even say, don't we, when we've had a bad day, well, at least tomorrow is another day. We get a great deal of security out of that. But God's time, Kairos, works very differently. For God, some times are more important than others, and so he views time as windows of opportunity that open and close, almost like portals of invitation signaling that God wants to do something in our lives. So you could represent God's time as a, a kind of an intersection across our time like that. These breaks in the chronos, they, become, they can become defining moments In our lives, they can become, it's the right or the opportune time, a moment in time when perhaps everything changes because it's the right time. And so Kairos events can be positive or negative. They're very rarely neutral, but they can be recognized by the impact that they leave. So think about different things in life, like the birth of a baby. That's a Kairos moment. That's Kairotic that that would happen. You're never the same. It leaves a lasting impression, or marriage, or even the history of a nation. So Brexit for the UK, that's a kairotic moment in the history of our nation. And it's these kairos moments, at at these kairos moments, there's there's a break in the rules of Kronos. It's like in that moment, that intersection... Uh, regular time seems to even be suspended for a period and everything stops, just stops. And it's a defining moment for you or for a group of people or even a nation. And there are loads of examples of the use of this word and it's very often linked to the coming of the kingdom of God in the New Testament. It describes the breaking in of God and his kingdom. So one of the key verses you could use is Mark chapter 1, 14 to 15, where Jesus announces, The time has come. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. In other words, pay attention. Be alert. Get ready there's a great opportunity about to open up for you because God's kingdom is within reach. What are you going to do about it? You're going to have to respond because this moment has broken into your life and it's never going to be the same after this. And so Jesus goes on and he teaches us about the importance of of Kairos time. He says, you need to learn to recognize and interpret the signs of the times. In Matthew 16, you've got to be able to recognize the kairos moments, the breakings of God, in of God, because he doesn't want us to miss an opportunity that might be presented to us. So in Luke chapter 19, Jesus warns Jerusalem about its coming destruction. He says it's because you didn't recognize the time of your visitation, meaning you rejected the Messiah. Serious. But as I said earlier, God is very kind. And in my experience, he will come back again and again and again to get our attention, even on the same issue. It may be just another prophetic word, another confirmation, another conversation, or even a film that you end up watching, (laughs) a preach that we hear. I'm expecting chirotic moments every week when I preach for people. It's an opportunity that opens up to respond to God. But ultimately, it's a failure to respond to God's promptings or perhaps even a lack of ability to process what he's saying and turn it into action that can be the reason why some of us fail to progress or fail to grow in particular areas where maybe we've struggled for years. We've just not been able to process that moment sufficiently. Because you see, a Kairos moment signals an opportunity to grow, but this will only happen when we're intentional about it. So let me introduce you uh, to, to a tool that I've been using uh, with others, uh, which I found very useful. I'm going to show it to you, I'm going to explain it, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity, a Kairos to have a go at it as well, yourself. And this is called the learning circle. And this isn't my invention. It's actually invented by a very clever chap called Mike Breen of 3DM. And essentially, what this says is that you enter enter a learning circle whenever there is a Kairos moment. So I've got to try and draw a circle now. This is brave of me. That's pretty circular ish. A bit egg like, maybe. So, whenever there's a Chorus moment, you enter a learning circle. And uh, as I said earlier, a Chorus moment basically is a, an invitation to stop and pay attention. So, the first thing that happens, the first part of understanding this, is the word observe. So when there's a Kairos moment, we stop, and the first thing we have to do is observe. Let me just break that down for you. I mean, basically what that means is there's something that's happened that's caught your attention. I told you about the walk I went on. So you need to ask yourself a series of questions. Well, what is happening? And then we need to observe our reactions, observe our emotions and our thoughts in that moment. And in that moment of observation, be really honest. Don't fool yourself, because God knows anyway. That's what I've discovered. You can't fool yourself. You can fool yourself, but you can't fool him. So be really honest, because change only comes on the inside from an honest response. So we've got to be brutally honest with ourselves. Now, the problem for many of us is Kairos moments can be quite awkward We actually don't want to go around the learning circle. In fact, we would rather move on quite quickly and do something else. So, what happens is we try to jump out. We try to move on. We try to cover it up, especially if it's something difficult, like you've just had an argument or you've just lost your temper and we're embarrassed and we don't want to process any further. But I want to encourage you to stay with that moment of observation and move on to the second part of dealing with that chorus moment. And this is the word reflect. So having observed, we now need to spend some time in reflection, standing back from yourself a bit. Once we've observed that moment, that, and our condition in that moment, we need to then reflect on ourselves, on what our observations, why did we react in the way that we did? Why do we feel like we do right now? Or why has that event brought these feelings and emotions to the surface, leading ultimately to what might God be saying to me? What's he inviting me to do in response to this? And asking questions of yourselves as if, so I quite often say to people when they come and ask for advice, I say, well, what would you say to yourself if you were me? it's quite useful to actually think of yourself as two people and split yourself in half sometimes and sit down and have a good chat with yourself. And imagine you're in that chair and you're in this chair and have a good chat with yourself and do a bit of reflecting. Well, why did you react like that? What was going on there? Where's that come from? So that's the next thing. It's reflect. And uh, my observation is that extroverts tend to struggle a bit more with that than introverts because introverts... Well, we like reflecting and going on and on about it, but extroverts tend to just want to move on and not spend too much time processing at all. But on this, you need to learn to actually pause and take a moment to just reflect. And then the next thing is, is actually discuss. 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 Find somebody you can talk to about it. Involve others in the process because none of us are very good at making lasting changes in our lives without the help of other trusted friends. And this also helps us to get a more objective view on what's happening and to get input from people who love us and will be honest with us. And in fact, I was just talking to Becky Webb about it before the meeting, and uh, she said that quite often she's found in these kinds of moments is that people haven't even recognized the Kairos moment that they're in. And it's actually really helpful just to say, look, something's happened, and there's something about it, but I don't get it. Actually, part of the process of discussion can help you to realize what it is that God is trying to bring uh, to your attention. And we need input and help from people who love us and will be honest with us. So we're not talking about just... Anybody. We're talking about people that there is some kind of relationship with, and there are people that will stand with us and pray with us and fight alongside us. So it's not a heavy thing, it's an encouraging thing. Uh, James five, sixteen says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That is often the process that God uses in order to bring healing in our lives. Okay, so that's the first half of the circle. And this is all about, this side of the circle is about changing the way that you think about something. So we could say, repent. So God's got your attention. He's wanting you to think it through, to process this, discuss it, because he wants to change the way that you think. Repentance is always a necessary response to the kingdom of God if we're to grow as disciples. But as someone once observed, facing our failings, our pain, and our fears is usually something we want to put off like a trip to the dentist or bathing the cat. (laughs) That just summed it up so well I had to use that. But it's, it's the only way for lasting change in our lives, and none of us are excluded from its benefits. And repentance is, after all, the door to our own salvation. And now we move on to the second part of the circle. Are you, are you finding this exciting? Just like a little bit of excitement out of this. So, and this second part is all about believe. So in the verse I read to you earlier, Jesus said, "The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe." Move from repentance to belief. Working. Around the other side is about coming from a place of repentance to faith. Because repentance, how many have found, is not enough actually to change your life. It's a good start, but it doesn't bring about lasting change. Stopping after we repent can even invite the experience to return and make it harder to repent next time. No, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to come to a place of new faith about that issue and move on and actually change the way that we live. So we therefore need a plan for inward change. So the next one is plan so we actually then need to make a plan for change in the light of what we've learned so how are you going to avoid that problem again you need to plan for it how are you going to live differently in the light of what you've learned how are you going to make the most of this opportunity that's just opened up for you we need to develop a concrete plan to progressively live differently in the light of what we've learned so for example with the disappointment thing i shared with you earlier For me, part of my plan was to share openly with Alison, first of all, but then I will go to my leadership team. And as I always do, and we always do, we have that habit together where we share things that we're working through, things that God's putting his finger on. So that's actually going to be part of my plan. And also allow them to hold me to account for some of those things I've had to work through for some of the wrong attitudes that I've had in the future. So that's Can you guess what the next one is? Accountability. So this is getting out of the circle. You're moving out of the circle so you can go back on with your life. There needs to be an accountability. Did I spell that wrong? Yes, I did. Accountability. Accountability. And this word, accountability, people often struggle with that word. It's got negative connotations of shame and failure attached to it, but that's not a biblical understanding of accountability. Because accountability is actually about finding safety, grace, and encouragement in one another to lead to lasting change. Because, guys, every one of us has messed up. Every one of us has gone our own way. So who am I to condemn you or vice versa? Um, It's about finding grace and encouragement so i've shared this before but i remember a few years ago one of us in the team was struggling with a particular issue and you know that awful feeling that you feel of i'm so rubbish i'm so useless like that the thought came to his mind but it doesn't matter because this week i've got a leadership team meeting That's great i can share it with the guys they'll pray for me and i'll be encouraged That's what accountability should be about. That's the kind of culture that we're trying to create as a church. So having gone through planning, getting some accountability in your life, some people that you trust, the final one is act. So we need to learn to act differently. And that's a natural outworking, actually, of the process that you've just been through of moving from repentance to faith, because faith has an outcome. Faith is a way of living. Faith changes the way that we live. We start to live differently in the light of what you have learned. You see, faith always must lead to action. In fact, it can't be contained. Once you've got faith in something something changes in your internal world and it starts to be manifest in your external world so that's it that's it really that's the kairos moment that's the learning circle so let me ask you how has god been trying to get your attention recently what is he saying to you and how is uh, sorry and and uh, what are you going to do about it and these are called the discipleship questions <laughs> How's God been getting your attention? What's he saying to you, and, ha- and what are you going to do about it? And the learning circle is designed to help you uh, to answer those questions. So I want to give you a, a, a Kairos moment to have a look at this and uh, review it yourself. So if I just hand these out. I'll put some here. There should be enough for one each, just about. And uh, what I suggest we do is just get into... Groups of two or three, and then I'll tell you what to do. I'll give you a suggestion, I won't tell you what to do, I wouldn't dare. So just to point out as well, two other things before we come to the exercise. Um, because we're human beings, even though we feel like we've done this amazing, we've achieved that and we've moved on. What I found personally is that we do have a tendency sometimes to try and go backwards We kind of slip back a bit, but actually the discussion and the reflection and observation should lead us back round again. So don't get discouraged. You might take a few attempts to finally come out of the circle. And the other thing is, because we are interested in being missional as a church, this isn't just for believers. i found Kairos moments happen everywhere. Because God is breaking in all over the place. There are opportunities out there all the time for people to get to know Jesus. So just be alert for your persons of peace and that kind of thing. You can even use this tool with unbelievers. The first time I introduced it to Steve Manier, he said, Oh, this is just like a therapeutic thing that I've seen used in social care or something like that. And so it's very uh, easy to use with unbelievers as well. It's a way of helping them to have an encounter with Jesus. So this is my suggestion. It depends how comfortable you feel with the people that you're in. You can either share with them a recent thing that's happened to you, an event, and then try to discuss it and see if you can go around the circle. Or if you'd like to look a bit more at the biblical basis for such a thing as a circle, I've given you some verses there, so what you could do is to just open the Bible and look at some of those verses and see if you can spot, I've tried to help you, by I put some headings in, see if you can spot the different aspects of the circle in those Bible verses, because Jesus uses this method in teaching his disciples. Okay, so either of those two, either discuss something from yourself Or open the Bible and have a look at that. And then at the end, I'll put up the answers, if you like, for the Bible ones. But they'll be in very small writing, so you have to come up and look at the screen if you want to see them. But otherwise, that's the end. So I'm just going to pray for you, and then I'm going to let you uh, have your discussions. And then you've got about ten minutes, and then we're going to go and get kids. So Jesus, we just want to invite you to take us into your learning circle. And, Lord, we want to open our hearts to that and say, Jesus, will you teach us, will you show us how to be like Jesus? We pray, Lord, you would uh, help us to realize the identity that you've given us as a gift uh, for your glory. Amen.